Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, open up to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 23. And uh, we are continuing our series this morning, Small Things, Big Difference. Small Things, Big Difference. Before I get into the, the message this morning, uh, a couple of things I was supposed to talk about during the announcements, but you know how my mind works. Um, if you're new this morning, you don't, but you'll find out soon enough. Um, <laughs> uh, See, it just happened again. Gone. Um, Last night, uh, I just want to share cool praise. Uh, Last night, we had our first uh, official, if you will, uh, family game night. And uh, best standard I can figure, we had about, I think there was just shy of 60 people uh, that were able to come out to that last night. And uh, so the fellowship hall was filled. And uh, it was just a great time um, getting together with other families, uh, just other individuals, uh, just playing games, seeing people interact, seeing people fellowship together, um, having some good food, just some good fellowship, and uh, kids running around just having a good time. So it was just an awesome night all around. And uh, after we were done, uh, some of you follow us on Facebook. If you don't, you should. Uh, You can find us on there. And we posted some videos uh, of some icebreakers we did. We posted some pictures and stuff, and there was at least a couple comments of people saying, we should do this more, uh, maybe once a month. And so my thought was, once a month might be a little much, but uh, as far as just scheduling and working things out, but we definitely are planning another one. And so I'll be thinking ahead to that. If you missed out on family game night this time for scheduling things, something happened, whatever, uh, we want to make sure you're there next time. It was a great, great time. And so I want to encourage you about that. Also want to let you know, uh, tonight. Um, We are starting our uh, kids' choir starting tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, during our evening service. Uh, Any kids 5 years old up through high school uh, are welcome to be a part of that. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. Uh, We have some that have signed up already. Uh, If you've not signed up and are interested, please do so, just so we have a good idea of who's coming to that. And so we encourage you to be a part of that if you have children that are interested in doing that. All right, it's going to be a great time. And so this morning... Getting into our series, kind of continuing on here, second week of our series, um, as we've been talking about uh, last week, I do pray uh, that this last week, after just the first message, if you were here with us last week, that you discovered the joy in the small beginnings of 2019. And if you're like, I don't know what you mean by that, uh, definitely want to make sure you listen to the one from last week, listen to the first talk in this, uh, your one thing. Uh, We talked about that last week. Uh, So often, when we talk about changing or making differences in our lives, so often we compare our beginnings to someone else's end. We compare our beginnings to someone else's end and are instantly discouraged and embarrassed. We think we could never do what they have done. All the big changes that have to be made are overwhelming. I want to encourage you to remember the words from Zechariah chapter 4. It told us that by His Spirit, the Lord rejoices in small beginnings. Why does the Lord rejoice in small beginnings? Because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, Zechariah says. See, we get so caught up in the end. We get so caught up in what it's going to look like when we're all done. We don't realize, just start. And we said it last week, many times around this time of year, we think about things we want to change about ourselves or things we want to get better in check or we want to get a handle on our finances or we want to get healthy or whatever it is. And we think, I could never be where so-and-so is, someone that we look up to in those areas. Even in our Christian life, we think, I could never reach that level of Christ-likeness. I mean, look at this individual. Look how godly they are. 
And we have to realize that big difference didn't come with one big change. It came with many small changes over the course of time. And I want to encourage you, the Lord does rejoice to see the work begin. So we talked last week, where are you starting? What is your one thing? Meaning, what is that one thing that God wants you to focus on this year? What is that one area that God is wanting you to focus on? Maybe, as we said last week, it would be wrapped up in one word. Maybe faith is the word that God is kind of impressing on your heart this year. Maybe it's rest. Maybe it's participation. Whatever that word is, whatever that one thing is, we talked about the power of focus. That when I get focused on this one thing, Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are before, but focusing on what's before. David said, there's one thing I want, one thing I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, what's that one thing that God has given you? And we want to put it in a word only because that helps us to focus on it better. We get so pulled in so many different directions, but what's that one thing? And then once we know what that one thing is, or we believe we know what that one thing is, what does God's word say about that one thing? This is where we have to stay connected to God's word. We can get that word in our mind, and then we think it's all about us doing it. Like faith. I need to have a greater faith, a stronger faith. And then we start trying to think, what do I think that means? Instead of going to God's word and saying, what does his word say leads to stronger faith? If you're not sure, I'm telling you, get a study Bible, get a concordance, get some Bible reference materials. There's websites that are completely free. Bible reference materials are given on there. I can give you those websites after if you're interested. They're amazing resources. But what does Romans chapter 10 verse 17 say? Faith comes by hearing and by hearing by the word of God. So you're thinking, I want to grow in my faith. Well, guess what? One small change is to spend some daily time in this book and your faith will grow. You said, we said it before, I could never read the Bible through in a year. That's too big of a challenge. No, but maybe you can read 15 minutes a day. Maybe you can read for 15 minutes a day, just today. And then tomorrow, you just read for 15 minutes. And then maybe the next day, you just read, and you just look at it one day, 15 minutes at a time. And by the end of a year, guess what you've done? You've read through the entirety of God's word in one year. Imagine how different your life would be at the end of that year. And guess what? That faith that you wanted to grow, spending a year in God's word consistently, daily spending time, your faith is going to grow. Small differences or small changes, big differences. Whatever the word is, whatever the leading that God is giving you is, I pray that you see and understand the power of small adjustments in our life, small changes we can make to see a big difference in the world around us. And by the way, it's the, the big differences that other people desire as well. You know, it's so funny. People will go to somebody that's accomplished something and say, I could never do what you've done. I asked last week, I don't know if you guys know any marriages that you just look up to. That's the marriage. Someone in their career, that's how you do this. I mean, I'm very transparent about this. When I was sitting in youth ministry here and sitting under Pastor Tom's preaching, Tom Blount's preaching, Called to preach at 16, felt horribly intimidated because I was called to preach about five months after I was saved. I knew nothing of the Word of God, did not grow up in a Christian home. And every week I'm like, okay, God, I know you want me to preach your Word. I know you want me to do this. And then I would listen to Pastor Tom preach. And I would walk out of a service, even when I got older and I was in youth ministry and, and I'm serving, I would, Sandra and I would leave a service and I would tell her oftentimes, I'd say, man, now that's how you preach. That's why God called him. 
And you know what it used to do? You think, oh, that should encourage you. Someone to look forward up to, look, look forward to as far as how you can grow. And it did the opposite. It actually discouraged me. I remember going home thinking, I'm never going to be like, like that. I can't ever preach like him. Man, I'm like, why am I even doing this? I remember I had a friend in Bible college that was in music. And he felt called to go in music. And he realized that when he got to Bible college, where all the best guitar players from all the youth groups around the country apparently go to Bible college. And he remember sitting in one of his first music classes, and he was just like, I'm the worst one here. And we can do that. We can start looking at these individuals that have achieved some things by God's glory and think, oh, I'm not them, so I can't do what God's called me to do. Here's the amazing truth. God has zero desire for you to be like someone else. Zero desire. God has all the desire for you to be like Jesus Christ. So when you feel intimidated, discouraged, I could never be like them, they aren't even like them, by the way. Have a conversation with that couple that you think is the perfect marriage, and you'll find out it's not a perfect marriage. They'll tell you there's been bumps in the road. There's been things we've had to work through. There's things that God has given us grace for. People that got their finances all together, have a conversation and talk about the years that they spent trying to figure that stuff out. The, the choices they had to make and then unmake and then remake. <laughs> the budgeting errors, the issues they ran into. And then you're going to find out, wait a minute. So, so it wasn't just, and you were there. It was little things over the course of time that you just kept working at and kept working at. And in the end, you see the big difference. Proverbs chapter 23, look at verse 7. Because I want to look at this morning and focus on some specific small adjustments. This morning, we're going to talk about your thoughts, the small adjustments we can make to our thinking. Then we're going to talk about our words and our habits in the next couple of weeks. And you don't want to miss the next two weeks. I promise you, you will not regret being a part of those messages. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. First part of verse 7 is the most popular, maybe one of the most popular proverbs that is quoted. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And the problem with people that quote that verse is they stop right there. They don't read the verse before, they don't read the verse after, and we'll talk about why that can be a problem. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? I know Greg prayed already, but let's... Ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to you. Lord, I know there's somebody in this room just because I know it's possible. There's someone in this room that has already made a decision that this isn't for them. They've already made a decision that there's nothing that's going to be said today that's going to make a difference for them. There's nothing that God can do for them. They're, they are where they are. Uh, they made their bed. Now they've got to lie in it. Uh, all these other things we tell ourselves. Lord, there's somebody maybe even in this room right now that is saying, uh, I just don't think this is for me. I don't think this is going to do anything for me. Lord, I pray that as only you can, by the working of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak into their hearts and minds, that you would let them know that you have a message for them. You have a word for them, Lord, and not, nothing super mystical about it, Lord. It's just you conveying your truth to them because you love them and there's grace that you have for them. And I pray that if there's someone in this room that has already shut you off, that they would open their heart to you, that you would lead them and guide them. Lord, I pray that if there's one that doesn't know you, they would come to know you before they leave this room. If there's somebody here that is a Christian that has been saved but has drifted, they just give up, Lord. 
and apathy. I pray that you would shake them out of that and show them your love for them as well. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage in Proverbs 23, verse 7, I want to take just a moment to kind of maybe speak against one interpretation and give you what I believe is an accurate interpretation of this passage. Um, I want to interject, if you will, just a thought here before we move too much farther into this, because I believe uh, in Christian circles today, uh, in the world today, in the church today, there is a movement uh, that, is, that takes verses like this and really builds entire thinking around them and then preaches things about them, kind of, I, I believe, misleading people in their thinking. Um, movements like the Word of Faith movement, uh, which is basically kind of the and I'm going to use a term here, and I'm not trying to pick on it if you believe it, but it's one that maybe many of us would know, kind of the blab it and grab it group, okay, if you've heard that term before. Uh, this is where uh, the Bible says, if you think, right, isn't that what it says? For if he thinks in his heart, so is he. And here's what people will say. If you think in your heart that you are wealthy, then you will be wealthy. If you think in your heart that you are healthy, you will be healthy. You'll never get sick. You'll, you'll always have money. You'll always get the job you got to think it, be it, and then achieve it. These are the kind of things that get preached. But I want to look at this passage and say, is that really what the passage is teaching? Is that really what it's saying? Is it really saying that if I just think hard enough and speak wealth into my life, that wealth will come? This is where people will say things like, you, get, you, you shouldn't speak that into your life. Like if you go up to somebody and they say, I'm just having a bad day. Oh, you should never speak that into your life. Because you're speaking it into existence. That's not really what the passage is saying. But you can start with this and start building this kind of slippery mindset of just thinking this way. And by the way, thousands of people will eat this up. You can write books on this. Make millions of dollars doing this. But is that, we have to ask the question, is that what the Bible is actually teaching? And here's why I don't think that's what the Bible is actually teaching, speaking and teaching, because that's what happens when you put teaching and speaking into one word, you get that word I just said. And if you're like, say it again, I don't think I could. You've got to buy the recording now. I don't know what to tell you. Um, when Jesus was on planet Earth, did Jesus have the favor of God in his life? Yes, we can all agree on this, yes. Did Jesus do all things to the Father's glory? God said, my son has done what? Everything and it's pleased me. Everything he said is pleasing to me. God or Jesus did the will of God perfectly. Jesus without sin. And yet Jesus had no home when he was ministering that we know of. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was apparently at least to some degree poor. And yet people in today's Christian circles will say, well, if you just speak those things away, just speak them away. And they'll quote a verse like this, but they won't take the passage in context. In a few, I don't know when we're going to do it. Maybe it'd be a couple of months. I don't know. I'm still praying about this. We're going to do a sermon series called something around the idea of strange fire. And we're going to talk about some of these things that get preached from pulpits in churches today. And it's just infiltrating our thinking and it's completely unbiblical. But I want to unpack that in a couple of months, and so I'll be looking for that. But as we look at this passage here, what is he really saying here? Well, in context, very important in Bible study to understand what's going on before and after. In context of the passage, Solomon is warning, listen now, warning that just because someone says they are for you, they may actually be against you. Isn't that just a little bit different than what some preachers might preach from this passage? 
The man in this passage, the man seems inviting and seems generous, but really his heart is not behind the words he is speaking. Look at verse 7 again. For, he, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. You know what he's saying? He's offering you food. He's making it sound like, hey, I want you to enjoy this meal. But it's all a show. It's all fake. It's not real. He's not really giving his heart to this individual. The truth in the principle of this verse is all about are we being truly genuine in our walk with God, in our walk with others. The key is that when I know who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me, I will think and so live to his glory and praise. I will not say one thing to the Lord and truly in my heart or in my thoughts thinking something else. See, that's really what this passage is saying. You can say all the words you want. You can talk the game to other people, but if your heart's not really in it, it's all fake. And you can go to God in prayer. Isn't this crazy? We'll go to God in prayer and we'll say all this religious stuff. And it's like Jesus is saying to us, man, I I hear your words, but I also see your heart. And I know that your heart is not focused on me. You can say all these things, but I know your heart's not with me. So what's Solomon's warning? We need to make sure our thoughts, our hearts, are actually intent on the things of God. So when we speak, when we live, we're true to what we're thinking and feeling and living. See, that's the passage. And so I want to walk this out a little bit this morning and talk about the fact that when we make these small adjustments to our life, we can make small adjustments to our thought that produce big differences in our life. You see, our thinking is revealing. Our thinking is revealing. That's one of the points that Solomon is making here. It starts with a thought. If we truly want to see the big changes in our life, we have to start by looking at our true thoughts. We can say whatever we want and make people believe this or that, but true and lasting change comes when we identify our thoughts. Jesus Jesus said it this way, that we draw near to him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. So let me ask you a question. If he's looking into your heart right now, into your mind, where's your thoughts right now? What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? Because see, if we're saying one thing and not really backing it up with true thoughts, genuine thoughts, then Christ sees that. But equally, the opposite is true. When we begin to surrender our thoughts to him and our lips begin to echo his praise, then he will know more than anyone else that we are drawing near to him and he will strengthen us. We have to make a choice this morning, which brings me back to our key thought. I've kind of talked about this a little bit already this morning, but our key thought for the series If you haven't written it down, then write it down. If you didn't write it down last week, write it down today. The key thought for the series is it's it's often the small things that no one sees that results in the big things that everyone wants. It's often the small things that no one sees that results in the big things that everyone wants. And this is true with our thoughts. And again, we don't cross over that line. We stay in that biblical realm. We have to make sure we're guarding our thoughts. See, this is the thing. There's a lot of new age, spiritualistic type thinking that has creeped into the church. And it sounds so close to the Bible. It sounds so close, but we got to be careful. Because there are principles like what you sow, you'll reap. So if you sow this thought, you'll reap this action. 
If you sow this behavior, you'll reap this benefit. But there's also times that we sow all the right things and persecution still comes. We sow all the right things and trials still come. Afflictions still come because we live in a broken and fallen world. We interact with broken and fallen people. Persecution comes because we're standing for Christ. So you can say all the right things and persecution comes. So we got to be careful. We don't necessarily say, oh, trials and struggles, I'm not doing this right. No, you could be doing everything exactly as God is leading you, but that's just God's will for your life right now. That's just part of being in a fallen world. God's allowing this into your life for your blessing. And so we have to always be guarding our thoughts. But it doesn't happen by accident, right? Do you ever just react with a thought? Hello, right? Something happens in front of you or before you and you just think it. We all can react with our thoughts. So how do we check our thoughts before we get into those moments? I truly think it comes when we do a thought audit. A thought audit. Okay, so I want to walk through this this morning a little bit here. Uh, We do audits on our finances to see how we are doing with our budget and how we're doing with our spending and those kind of things. And if we're reaching our goals, we need to do the same about our thought life. I want to encourage you to pull out a piece of paper if you're not taking notes already. If you are taking notes, I'm going to give you something to kind of help you. If you don't have a pen or paper or lipstick you can borrow from your wife, uh, crayons from your kids, whatever. If you don't have something to write down with, just maybe mentally do this with us this morning. So if you're writing this down, here's what I want you to do. On the left-hand side, I want you to write kind of in a column these three words. Worried, under that negative, under that worldly. So on three lines, if you will, worried, negative, worried. Or I'm sorry, worldly. Worried, negative, worldly. Okay? Then on the far right-hand side of your paper, so across from them, across from worried, you write peaceful. Put some space in between there. Worried, peaceful. Negative, positive. Worldly, eternal. So you should have a column on your left, a column on your right. In between, you're going to write the numbers 1 through 10. So worried, and then 1 through 10, peaceful. You guys with me so far? Negative, 1 through 10, positive. Worldly, 1 through 10, eternal. So when you gauge your thought life, and you're dwelling on a thought, and you're thinking something, is this thought a one, which would be the closest to worried I could get? Is it a five? Or is it a ten? Is this a peaceful thought, or is this a worried thought? Am I stressing about this, or am I allowing God's peace to rule and reign in this thought? Is it negative or positive? Now, you might say, well, how do you not think negative about a negative situation? That's something I always battle with, right? Something negative is happening to you. You don't want to be negative, but you're like, but this is a negative situation. I go with what Paul says. Paul says, I take joy in all tribulations. James says, you know, when diverse trials and struggles and temptations are coming on you, take joy. Why? Because it's producing something in your life. So here's the thing. When a negative thing's happening to you or around you, you don't go, oh, I'm so excited that this negative thing is happening to me. Okay? That's really weird. Okay? Don't be that person. Okay? 
What you do is you say, I am completely unhappy about this situation. I don't like this situation, but I'm happy and joyful in what I believe God is going to do through this situation. What I believe God is doing in this situation. How God is growing me through this seemingly negative situation. Negative, positive, worried, peaceful. The last one I think is tough for most of us, if not all of us. I know it is for me. Worldly, eternal. If you want to have a great marriage, and I'm not saying I have a great marriage, but I pray that God will keep giving me the wisdom to pursue the things of him so that I will one day, by God's grace, have that great marriage. If you want a great marriage, think about your marriage in an eternal perspective. Think about the fact that one day your spouse will stand before Jesus Christ and you've been blessed with the opportunity to disciple that person for all the years you've been married. And are you doing everything possible? You can't control them. You can't make them. Of course not. But you can lead them. You can guide them. You can encourage them. And so here's my challenge, something that's challenged me. Am I doing everything possible to make sure that Sandra is prepared for that moment? That's an eternal perspective. And you know what? When you think that way, the little petty stuff that happens day to day isn't a big deal anymore. Those little insignificant things that happen, disagreements. People say, well, couples fight. No, no, no. Couples don't have to fight. That's a cultural norm. Don't let the culture tell you how to live in your marriage. Couples can have disagreements. Couples can have arguments. But couples, Christian couples, should never fight. They should be striving to say whatever possible to bring peace and calm to the situation. You can disagree with someone and still not fight. And you might say, well, that's semantics. Fight, argue, it's the same thing. I don't know that it is. (laughs) I don't know that it is. I think we should strive to bring peace into our home, not tension and aggression. And so if you're thinking eternally about your marriage, it's going to show difference. Small things, right? Pray for your spouse. Pray with your spouse. And you'll find a big difference in your communication. How about your finances? You thinking worldly or eternal about that financial thought you're struggling with? You might say, what are you talking about? Well, why are you pursuing that financial goal? Why do you want financial success? Why do you want all the savings and all the stuff banked up? Is it so that you can just say, look at the castle I've built? Or is it because you want to say, now watch me unload all this in generosity to God's glory? See, worldly or eternal? What did Jesus say to the farmer that had the huge harvest and said, I'm going to tear down all my barns and build one really big barn and store all this up because, man, look, I've got to do nothing for years I can just sit back and eat and drink and be merry. Look at all of this I have. And Jesus says in a parable in Luke, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. Yeah, that's great. Someone else is going to spend it. That beautiful home you got, sooner or later, it's the banks or someone else's. Man, those possessions that we have on this world are momentary. And there's nothing wrong with possessions as long as we see them in a temporal light. But there's eternal treasures that are being stored up forever. Those are the things that will last. Those are the things that will be done for the glory of God. And so as you're thinking on these things, 
I encourage you, spend time thinking, what kind of thought is this? Do a thought audit. Take time to consider, where is this thought finding its home? Is it eternal or worldly? What type of thoughts dominate your thinking? If you recognize that worried, 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 worldly, or negative thinking is ruling your mind, it doesn't have to stay that way. The answer isn't your ability to change. The answer is in the ability of the Spirit of God by the Word of God to change you. I want to read Romans 12 too. This is the New Living Translation. I love the way it translates this verse. Romans 12 too. It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, how does God change us? He changes the way we think. We don't think like the world. We're not consumed with the worries of the world. We're thinking on him, what he has for us. But how do you change the way you think? That's all well and good, Pastor John. That's great. I love that. Mm, Good stuff. Amen. Sign my Bible after we're done. Okay? Some of you haven't been in church long enough, you don't get that reference, okay? Who gets the sign my Bible when you're done reference? Who gets that one? Five hands, six hands. I got one of these in the back there. That's a good one, okay? If you really want to know what that means, just talk to me after. It's not worth the time to talk about it. But sometimes we go to church and we're like, I get that. I'm not supposed to think this way. I shouldn't think that way. I'm trying to think that way. But now what do I do? See, that's why I love God's word. God's word never asks us to change something without giving us everything possible to be changed and change us. And he gives us this in his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. How do you change the way you think? So 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 3 through 5. The first thing we do, apart from, again, what did Romans say? We surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We're letting him change us. We're we're opening ourselves up to him. That's number one. We have to allow him to take up residence in our life. We have to know Christ as our Savior and then spend time with him and ask the Holy Spirit to change us. That's where it starts. But we have effort. We have to put some work into this. We do have to take some steps here to say, okay, now I'm going to follow through on what God is asking me to do and what he's giving me the power and the strength to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And again, if you're not careful, when we talk about this, people will say on TV or whatever, well, yeah, this is how you become a millionaire. Capture all those thoughts about you're poor and you're not good enough and capture those and submit them to Christ and he'll give you wealth. That's not at all what Paul's saying here. It's not even close to what Paul's saying here. And I want to walk through this again and give you some context of what Paul's saying here because we do need to capture destructive thoughts. But why? Why do we do this? What's the point of all this and how do we do it? I love the way the Apostle Paul lays out his response in this passage uh, really to the opposition that was being raised against him in the church. 
If you don't know, 2 Corinthians, the book we just read, 2 Corinthians is obviously Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. His first letter, when you read it, he was trying to correct some things in the church, change some things in church, teach them that they were doing the Lord's Supper with the wrong heart, misusing the spiritual gifts. There were some sin issues in the church that were going on. Uh, He was correcting all those things. 2 Corinthians is a response to what's going on in the church after that. You see, what happened is once Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, individuals in the church started saying, who's Paul? Why am I listening to Paul? What authority does Paul have over my life? Paul's nobody. Paul has nothing to do with me. I'm like, I don't need to listen to Paul. And so as Paul is receiving this knowledge, this news, that they're rejecting what he wants to say, because they're saying, you're not anybody anyway, he's responding to that. And I love what he says here as he's defending his ministry. He basically says, after, by the way, planting the church at Corinth, starting the church in Corinth, 18 months of teaching and nurturing and encouraging the church at Corinth, loves the church at Corinth, gives everything for them, leaves, and now some people are like, well, who's Paul? Why are we listening to Paul? He has no authority over us. Let me ask you a question real quick. What would your thinking be like? You've invested 18 months. I don't know you think that doesn't sound like a long time. For Paul, it was one of the longest churches he spent time with. He was there more than any other church. What would you be thinking if you were the Apostle Paul, if some people in the church sort of challenging your authority, questioning who are you, as you know you've been called by God to lead his church and you've written scripture, you've testified, you've done miracles. I mean, all these things. And somebody in the church, some Joe Average says, well, I don't think Paul's somebody we should listen to. I can tell you where my thought life would be. We don't need Joe Average anymore. Time for Joe Average to go, you know. I mean, Paul could get really angry. He could get defensive. He could really say, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you know who I am? But I love where Paul starts. Because see, Paul understood. He didn't get angry. He didn't attack them. Paul reminds his readers of where the real attack comes from. He made it clear that while we walk after the flesh, the war is not in the flesh. Do you see that there in verse 3? For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Do you know where Paul started? These people that are challenging me, questioning me, they're not really attacking me. They're not my enemy. Write it down, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Paul talks about the true enemy and the armor of God and why we need it because we have an enemy and it's Satan. He's the one attacking us. And there's individuals, human beings, that get caught up in that. And yeah, they seem like they're the enemy, but they're really just kind of unknowingly going along with it. And Paul says, man, I'm not, my fight's not with you. My fight's not against you, because it's not even in the flesh. So he identifies, first and foremost, where's the attack coming from? It's not them. It's not in the flesh. I love what the Moody Bible commentary says about this passage. Paul's battle plan to kind of come against this opposition. I love what he says here. Paul's battle plan was to demolish the fortress defined by false reasoning and arrogant argumentation that kept people from a true knowledge of God. So first, he's kind of going against that false reasoning, that arrogant 
argumentation. One of the arguments that was brought against Paul was that he's not even really an apostle. He's in the flesh. He's not even spiritual. He's not even godly. So he's reminding them, listen, we're not, we're not really in the flesh. We're in Christ. So he's going against that. And then secondly, he tells us in verse 5 to take captive wrong thinking with the goal of conforming that thinking to the gospel. I love that commentary. Capture wrong thinking for the purpose of conforming that wrong thinking to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the first thing we have to do is we have to capture destructive thinking, destructive thoughts. But Paul does encourage also, following this, the church to become obedient to the things of Christ. Go become obedient to the things of Christ and to hold those who do not accountable. He goes on in verse 6. I didn't read it with us, but listen to what he says here. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now that, that wording, you might think, oh, revenge is bad. We shouldn't take revenge. That's not what Paul is necessarily saying. Don't think like we're going to attack them and beat them up or something like that. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying when you get your thinking right and you've submitted your thinking to the obedience of Christ, then as you're in the church, as other individuals are not conforming to what is true, not conforming their thinking to the things of Christ, although they need they should, they know they should, you go to them. You, you're ready to go to them and strongly encourage, maybe I'll use that terminology, their thinking to change. And this might be uncomfortable for some of us, but isn't it the blessing of being in the church? But I mean, think about this. Paul encourages them with a, a way to encourage and, and think differently and to, to get their minds on the things of Christ. And so he says, once you're there, once you get there, go encourage other brothers and sisters in the church to think the same way. Keep each other accountable. And that's the, the blessing of the church. There is no greater blessing to be a member of a church than to be accountable to one another, to be encouraged by one another, to be strengthened by, by one another, to be helped by one another. Because here's the thing. Today, your thinking might be obedient to the things of Christ. But this week, you might drift. You might start thinking different things. And so what would you rather have? Somebody that pats you on the back in wrong thinking and says, you're fine, you're good. I'm praying for you. And that's good to pray for them. Or would you rather someone come and say, hey, listen, here's how God has helped me change my thinking. How can I for you and encourage you and support you to help you in this area. I would rather have the later, the latter. I would rather have the second person that comes alongside, doesn't just give me some kind of a surface answer, but really desires to help me grow in my thinking so that I have more joy, more peace, an eternal perspective on life. So we must capture destructive thinking. But also, we must think or fix our thoughts on spiritual things. Fix our thoughts on spiritual things. Philippians chapter 4. Go over there with me. Many of us know this passage. Philippians chapter 4. And I want to look at this together. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. We capture destructive thinking and we fix our thoughts. We fix our thoughts. We, we focus our thoughts on spiritual things. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. Let me stop right here. Some of you, I've only read like five words. Some of you have heard this so much, you've already disconnected. 
You've already just been like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you just kind of drift off. I'm telling you, if we don't invest our time into the Word of God, giving attention to these things, whether it's the thousandth time we've heard it or the first time, it loses because of our lack of submission to it, its ability to change us. And so when we read these words, don't just go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Man, are your thoughts really fixed on these things? Not in a momentary passing, not just in church, but when stress is rising, when people are jerks, when things are going crazy, are you really fixing your thoughts on these things? And I can be honest enough to say, I am not always there. I don't always fix my thoughts on these things. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Man, for some of us, 2019, maybe purity needs to be our word. Maybe that's the one thing we focus on. Purity in our thinking, purity in our actions. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. But look what Paul says in verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know what Paul's saying? I don't want you to just think these things because God said it. I've, I've found the practical joy of these things. I've experienced the closeness to Christ in thinking this way. And so I'm telling you, think on these things. And as you've seen those things in me, why is he saying that? Because he's the one leading the church. As you've seen these things in me, and I don't think Paul was saying he's perfect. I think he was saying, I'm trying to model this before you. Do these things. And what's the result? And the God of peace shall be with you. Why should I focus so hard on fixing my thoughts on these things? Because ultimately, the God of peace will be with you. And small adjustments. Small adjustments to how we think. Now that we've taken those destructive thoughts captive, we replace them with heavenly-minded thoughts. Paul also said, I'll give you a couple more references. I'm just going to read them for time's sake. Paul also said in Colossians 3 and verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 23, when he was not thinking clearly in regards to Jesus going to the cross, he was thinking earthly thoughts, not heavenly thoughts. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Remember that scale we gave you, worldly, eternal? The closer we get to worldly, the more human our thinking is. The closer we get to eternal, the more godly our thinking is. Now, let's be honest. We're never going to think all the things that God thinks. We can't. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts. But by his grace and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit and his word, our thoughts can be changed. And we can start thinking more like he thinks. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This attitude, this is what Christ was concerned with, being a servant for you. Let this thinking be in you. Serve one another. We must make small adjustments in our thinking to fix our thoughts on the things of God, not on the things of man. The way of thinking creates the right 
and proper perspective on the situations we face in this world. Listen, the honest thing is the world's going to get worse and worse. Things are just going to get, they're just, they're just bad. No joke. I do not, I've told you this before, I do not watch news hardly at all, and I hardly ever, I'm almost going to say other than last night, that was the first time in months I stumbled upon local news. Like the global news, the world news, that's bad enough. You turn on like 11 o'clock news, no joke, I'm watching the football game. Okay, go Rams. I'm watching the football game. The game ends and it jumps right to, no, I'm sorry, the game wasn't even over yet. That's right. They cut away to like a little news weather update thing, like a, like a two-minute thing. In that two-minute window of just saying, this is what's up at 11, I heard about a man who died, a guy who stabbed his wife or something, killed her, um, and I think that was it. Then it was the weather. So literally it goes, man falls to elevator shaft, dies. Man stabs his wife, dead. And here's so-and-so with the weather. And I sat there and I was like, that's your lead? That's how you open the weather? Like, nothing about the game, nothing about it. This uh, here, death, 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 weather. Listen, we live in a crazy world. Crazy world. How do we battle against that and not lose our mind? We fix our thoughts on things above. You want peace in your marriage? Fix your thoughts on things above. You want your spouse to be loving and serving to you? Well, when you're fixing your thoughts on things above, you're starting to become more loving and serving. Guess what? You're testifying that to them. They may or may not choose to respond, but you're setting the example. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter as much anymore because you're dwelling on the things of God. You want to be a testimony in your workplace for God's glory? Fix your thoughts. Now listen, it is not a, and we're good. What did I say? Not a big change equals big results. Small changes big difference. It's a small change today. It's thinking a little different about that situation. It's thinking a little bit different about this situation. And then you'll see over time growth in that area. So I want to encourage you to do this. We're going to close in a word of prayer. But I want to encourage you to do something today. I want you to decide today to take captive the destructive thoughts and fix your thoughts on things above. In similar tone as last week, I want to ask you to think about your one thought. Your one thought, your one area that you battle in your thought life and allow God to change that into a heavenly-minded thought. I love what Psalm 104.34 says. Psalm 104.34 says this, and I want it to be our final encouragement this morning. I want us to dwell in this. Psalm 104.34, May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so here's what I want you to do this morning. Very simple invitation. The band's going to come and, and lead us in a song, and you're going to have an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. Last week we said, what's your one thing? This week I want you to think about what's your one thought. What's that one area in your thought life that you find yourself struggling with? Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's 
Worry because you think you'll never be good enough. Worry because you think you'll never get it done. Worry because you don't think you'll ever achieve whatever you think you need to achieve. If it's that kind of a thing, whatever it is, maybe you would come and say, God, in this area right now today, don't pick 50 things. What's your one thought? Whatever that is, would you say, God, would you change my thinking that I would capture this thought and fix my mind on spiritual things? Whatever God is doing, I want you to respond to him today. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? as you bow right there where you are. I want to encourage you to respond today. As you pray there where you are, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then in just a moment we're going to stand, and you'll have an opportunity to come forward and to bend a knee, again, maybe as an individual, as a family, whatever it is, and you want to say, God, in 2019, I want you to, I want you to change this thought. I want you to help me in this thought area. I battle with worry. I battle with this. God, I need your help in this area. Here's my one thought. Help me to make the small adjustments today that will result in the big differences tomorrow. Maybe you're sitting there today and you think you're just not good enough. You think, how could God ever love me? Your thoughts are betraying you. Your thoughts are distracting you from what the truth of God's word says. You are loved by God beyond any stretch of your imagination. Your thoughts can tell you that you're worthless and no good and that God could never love you. And I'm here to tell you, capture that thought because it is wrong. The word of God says that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you on a cross and that if you will accept by faith his grace, acknowledging that you've sinned, receiving him into your life just by believing through a simple prayer, Lord God, I pray that you would save me. Lord, I pray that you forgive me of my sins, that I would live for you. It's as simple as faith. Don't believe those thoughts that are telling you that God would never love you or God can never save you. They're lies. Maybe you're here and you've messed up as a follower of Christ. You've made some mistakes in your life and you think those somehow have completely made you useless to God. Capture those thoughts. Ask God to change your thinking. Ask him to give you a passion and a zeal for him and allow God to move. What's that small adjustment? Maybe your small adjustment has nothing to do with what anything I talked about today. Maybe it's something completely different. Maybe you'd respond to that this morning. Heavenly Father, bless now this time of invitation. We ask that you would be glorified in all these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we respond to him? whether you sing out or whether you come forward and pray. If you're going to pray there in your seats, what's your one thought that God is helping you with today? Would you respond? Mom and dad, whoever, individual, come and pray. Respond today to what God is doing.